0: This morning's reading is from Romans chapter 2, beginning at verse 1, running through to chapter 3, verse 8, and it can be found on page 1129 of the Pew Bible. God's righteous judgment. You therefore have no excuse, you who pass judgment on someone else, for at whatever point you judge another, you are condemning yourself because you who pass judgment do the same things. Now we know that God's judgment against those who do such things is based on truth. So when you, a mere human being, pass judgment on them and yet do the same things, do you think you will escape God's judgment? Or do you show contempt for the riches of his kindness, forbearance and patience, not realizing that God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance? there will be wrath and anger there will be trouble and distress for every human being who does evil first for the jew then for the gentile but glory honor and peace for everyone who does good for the first first for the jew then for the gentile for god does show favoritism all who sin apart from the law will also perish apart from the law And all who sin under the law will be judged by the law. For it is not those who hear the law who are righteous in God's sight, but it is those who obey the law who will be declared righteous. Indeed, when Gentiles, who do not have the law, do by nature things required by the law, they are a law for themselves, even though they do not have the law. They show that the requirements of the law are written on their hearts, their consciences, also bearing witness, and their thoughts sometimes accusing them and at other times even defending them. This will take place on the day when God judges people's secrets through Jesus Christ as my gospel declares. Now you, if you call yourself a Jew, if you rely on the law and boast in God, if you know his will and approve of what is superior because you are instructed by the law, If you are convinced that you are a guide for the blind, a light for those who are in the dark, an instructor of the foolish, a teacher of little children, because you have in the law the embodiment of knowledge and truth, you then, who teach others, do you not teach yourself? You who preach against stealing, do you steal? You who say that people should not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who abhors idols, Do you rob temples? You who boast in the law, do you dishonor God by breaking the law? As it is written, God's name is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. Circumcision has value if you observe the law, but if you break the law, you become as though you have not been circumcised. So then, if those who are not circumcised keep the law's requirements, will they not be regarded as though they were circumcised? The one who is not circumcised physically and yet obeys the law will condemn you who, even though you have written code and circumcision, are a lawbreaker. A person is not a Jew who is only outwardly nor in circumcision merely outward and physical. No, a person is a Jew who is one inwardly. Circumcision is circumcision of the heart by the Spirit, not by the written code. Such a person's praise is not from other people, but from God. What advantage then is there in being a Jew? Or what value is there in circumcision? Much in every way. First of all, the Jews have been entrusted with the very words of God. What if some were unfaithful? Will their unfaithfulness nullify God's faithfulness? Not at all. Let God be true and every human being a liar as it is written so that you may be proved right when you speak and prevail when you judge. But if our unrighteousness brings out God's righteousness more clearly what shall we say? That God is unjust in bringing his wrath on us? I am using a human argument. Certainly not. If that were so how could judge so God judge the world. Someone might argue, if my falsehood enhances God's truthfulness and so increases his glory, why am I still condemned as a sinner? Why not say, as some slanderously claim that we say, let us do evil that good may result. Their condemnation is just. Praise be to God.
1: Thank you so much, David, for that. Friends, good morning. So I was getting my name tag downstairs And I said, everyone knows me. Anyway, why should I get one? And uh, God bless her, the wee Naomi said, you got to get one because that is just the rule. (laughs) So that's just the rule. And I got uh, my name tag. As you can see, I am Abby. Now... It's great to see all of you here uh, again, uh, whether you are joining us uh, um, for the first time or uh, you are rejoining us or you have uh, um, the privilege also of being here roughly every Sunday. Uh, I don't know whether you you have noticed when you came in that there is a big banner outside on, on the wall where they say, come And hear the good news. Come and hear the good news. Now this morning, the thought I just, I'm praying that we can take home is this what is coming on the screen. The person next to you doesn't need the gospel or the good news more than you do. He or she needs it differently than you do. For we are all sinners who come short of the glory of God and are guilty before him. Have a chat with the one sitting next to you. Say hello and ask him or her where she's coming from and just have a wee chat. That's great. Now, that person with whom you have been chatting doesn't need the gospel or the good news more than you do. He or she needs it differently than you do. For we are all sinners. Who come short of God's glory and are guilty before Him. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the privilege of sitting at your feet to hear your word as we worship you. By your spirit, we pray that you convict us of guilt in regard to sin and righteousness and judgment. Help us, by your spirit, to see our lost condition How far down we have sunk and feel the need of grace, salvation, forgiveness, restoration. All these blessings you offer so freely in your blessed, lifted up son, King Jesus, who is alive. And has the power to save us completely. For he came into the world to save sinners. And is coming again soon to judge the living and the dead. Lord, as we listen to your word make us weep and send us from here with great joy because we have understood and responded to your word that has been sent and made known to us by the power of your spirit and that your son King Jesus is glorified and highly lifted. So speak, O Lord. Your servants are listening. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now I said whether you are joining us for the first time or you have been coming here, we as a church has been looking at uh, the good news from the book of Romans. And this letter, the gospel or the good news, is a set for for the understanding of the Christian community. The Christian community in Rome, like a church like us, or people like us, but it was made up at least two kind, of, two kind of people, the Gentiles and the Jews. God has used this book and the gospel that we found in it, and still does even today, in a whole or in part of this book, to lead thousands of sinners to salvation. By enabling them to turn from their sins to come to God and believe in Jesus as their savior and Lord. Last week, for those who were here, in the first part of this book, but the second part of chapter 1, which we looked at last week, that is chapter 1, verse 18 to 32, Paul, our inspired writer, is driving a truth to say that uh, all mankind as it were, bringing them into a courtroom or a tribunal and proving to them that uh, all are sinners and guilty before God. The sins described in that part, as we saw last week, are quite. Some may say horrible, but the sinners there are not to be judged for rejecting a savior of whom they have never heard or known before, but they already stand guilty because they are lost because of their own sins and they stand being judged by God now those sins we saw last week and the sinners there could be described as what is coming on the screen as terrible sinners we can call them terrible sinners and we saw that they are without excuse look at verse 20 of that chapter 1 verse 20, at the end there, so that people are without excuse. Because they have been sinning against the light, against the creator, and consequently as we saw last week, what we deplore these days as breakdown of moral societies is actually like a a part of the wrath of God or the anger of God being revealed. And they all stand in judgment. Now, just in case, as we said last week, that we should not judge and that how it should be because this week, if you think yourself, I am not a terrible sinner. Paul takes us to talk about what I call nice sinners. Nice sinners. Come with me to Rome as the people gathered, as they listened or they read the book or the letter of Romans, They begin chapter 1 and they come to chapter 1 verse 18 and begin to read and they come to verse 26 and and all the way to verse 32 and all these scenes. I am sure some of the people in that place who might have thought themselves, I'm not like that, must have been nodding, yeah, yeah, Paul, you are all right, look at how they are. And maybe some of them, if they were like in the church where I come from in Africa, they'll be saying, Amen, Paul. Adding their Amen to the description of these terrible sins, but all of a sudden... As Paul has been condemning these idol worshippers, homosexual and lesbian practices, and the sinners, according to that list, all of a sudden, as an old saying goes, I think it's gonna come on the screen. Clay, do is still awake. He's not asleep. As an old saying say, when you point your finger At someone else, other three are pointing at you. Must have been a surprise for them to hear, but you too are just as bad and immoral like them. Just as bad. I don't know how they, have, they felt when Paul says, you are just as bad. You are not terrible, you are nice, but you are just as bad. It's putting them on the same level or in the same boat in the eyes of God as far as sin is concerned and the need of salvation they are all on the same footing God's word through Paul here exposed the hypocrisy and wickedness of those who see themselves are more distinguishable people. As they condemn others, God through Paul looks at them and say, <laughs> you are religious people, you are respectable people, you are church people, But let me call you church sinners. As you boast of in your knowledge and pride yourselves as being the people of God, but in reality, your life is such that through what you do, God's name is spoken down or the word which is used there, blasphemed among others who are not like you. In other words, Paul is driving a trophy here. That if you think these Gentiles, they are terrible sinners, you two Jews are, um, yes, God's people, you have the knowledge, But you are just nice sinners. You are respectable sinners. And you all consequently can never, never hope to attain salvation on the ground of any other of your claim. All of you need the Savior. In my note here, I put something which goes like this. Yes, we need to speak out against the sin, deplore the breakdown of this moral standard in our society. But we must do so in a spirit of humility. For often the sins we see clearly in others are the ones that have taken root in ourselves. I don't want to go into all the details in this passage, but there is something also going on here. Paul is using the U, which is singular. All those scholars, they can go and venture to find what, why he's using that. But there's something here in other words, is driving also the truth uh, to show the intensity, making it more personal, and uh, but at the same time universal, but more personal, but also to say to anyone who might say, I am exempt from this, and draw that person in. In other words, you too, I too. Maybe at this point, I just want to pause. And again, ask you if you can. If you don't want, that's fine. But even in your heart, ask the one sitting next to you a question. Are you a terrible sinner or are you a nice sinner? now 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 just in case you say i'm not a terrible i'm a nice one let let's see a little bit more in detail who is the nicest sinner the nicest sinner is someone who has a prejudice He sees himself or herself as a self-righteous judge, the respectable person, the moral person, who tries to be superior to his or his fellow peers. Now, As I study and prayed and looking also at my experience in the ministry by God's grace, the nicest sinner is much, much more difficult to convince that he or she is a sinner. Because as even this passage goes, There is a dispute going on here. The whole passage is about like a question and answers. The first one, they just accept, I'm just a sinner. Talk talk to people who are other alcoholic. They'll just say, yes, I am an, an, uh, this is me who I am. But talk to someone who's a church person and tell him that you are a sinner and you need to be like a big term, Born again. Whoa! By the way, there are plenty nice people out there. Maybe not in the church. But there are nice people here. But this morning, I'm just praying that we see that no matter how respectable we may be, no matter how moral we may be, no matter how nice we may be, we are just, just perhaps nicer sinners in comparison to those we might think as terrible, worse, and shocking sinners. The nice sinner esteems himself or herself better than the others. Particularly when he or she looks at others and say something like, huh, I am not like them. Look at what they do. Look at their drinking. Look at their drugs problem. Look at their immorality. Look at their corruption. Look at their dishonesty. I am not like that. So I am all right. In fact, I am more righteous. And we take this from the Bible. There is a story told by Jesus, a parable. Um, about a Pharisee who stood in the temple and prayed and said, God, I thank you that I am not like other people, evildoers, robbers, adulterers, or even uh, the tax collector. I twice, I fasted twice, and I give a tenth or a tithe of all that I earn in other words, I'm all right. Friends, if we are honest, maybe there is just some little Pharisees in each one of us. The nice sinner has a sharp eye for the fault of the wicked. Like when Luther say, the unrighteous look for good in themselves and evil in others. And the righteous are eager to see good in others and overlook their own. I don't want to go in more detail, but study this passage a lot here. The nicest sinner is someone who feels himself or herself as the teacher, as the light, as the guide of others, as, 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 as someone who is the instructor of the wise. And yet, as Paul pointed out to them, their sins are just as subtle like other people's sins. In other words, What Paul is saying here, the sins of the Gentiles are or were the same like the sins of the Jews. The sins of other people out there, outside the wall of this church, are the same as our sins. In the eyes of God, it's just a different magnitude. When I was growing up and I uh, became a Christian, I started um, the journey of Christianity through Scripture Union. And I don't know whether I said this last time, but I keep forgetting. Uh, Fiona is very good in this remembering to bring some of the illustration. Um, I'm not good in that really. I have to confess. So, um. I try to bring something here. Uh, w- what I was told, if you take a big stone, now this is a Bible, it's not a stone, if you take a big stone and you take a small stone, throw them into the water, they will all reach the bottom, but just on a different speed. So the big sinner you may think, and the small one, are just the sin before God. And they're just condemned before God. And they are, the nicest sinner, is also without excuse. Look at chapter 1, or chapter 2, verse 1, which David read. It's the same. Just like the terrible sinner is without excuse, the nice sinner is without excuse. They all are facing the same issue. Sadly, many people in Paul's day, just like now, argued and they still argue today that the sin is not very serious or can be justified in some way. Because they adopt a stance which say, God is so loving and he won't judge sin or would never take an action against sin. Or they just say, sin isn't bad, they say, because, in fact, don't you see we need to just stay in touch with the culture around us. In other words, they argue God has no right to interfere in what we consider to be our world. But if that is our attitude, that God is not to interfere in our world, and sin isn't bad, friends, we should never, never take the grace of God for granted. Because God surely will never overlook at sin. Sin is terrible. I don't have time to go through this. This word sin is terrible. Whether the one in the category of the terrible sin, or in the category of the nice sinner, sin is terrible. And a long time ago, people like uh, the prophet Isaiah looked at uh, all that sin has done in the life of the people and then cried out and say, how then can we be saved? What well, dare he know And he say, thanks be to God the Father, only in his love and grace that we can be taken out of this pit. Paul, in what we are looking at and will be looking at, is saying, as we see this um, coming, no salvation apart from faith in Jesus Christ. No salvation, no justification, those big words, no righteousness, big words that we shall be looking at as we go along, apart from Jesus Christ. But you may say, well, wait, 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 wait. We read there, it looks like Paul also is saying, particularly in verse 6 all the way to verse 11, it looks like he's saying, wow, there is another way to be saved. You know, we can be saved also in another way by doing good works or by seeking to honor God. There's another way there. And again, I don't want to go into details, but Paul, what he's saying, is not that anyone can be saved by good works because if that is the case there, then it's contradictory to all that comes later, particularly in chapter 3 verse 18 to 19 and 20, where it is saying, actually, no one does good things. All works that any person does must be excluded as a means of earning salvation. In fact, sin, friends, corrupt our character to the point that even sometimes the best we can give, we can do, is fooled by dishonorable motives. And to bring the word of Isaiah here, even our righteous acts are just filthy before God. So how can we be saved? Only through Jesus Christ. In fact, John, who was so close to Jesus as well, um, looked at what Jesus said. And Jesus one day was approached by the people. And uh, this is what they asked as I think it comes. What must we do to do the work God requires? And then Jesus answered, The work of God is this, to believe in the one Jesus Christ he has sent. In other words, friends, the first and most important good work that anyone can do is to believe in Jesus Christ. Now, for those who are young here, forgive me this. But the older one, they need some time to be reminded. You know, when I go to care home, I just like telling them the story. And they like hearing, you know, those songs that they knew before. But, you know, friends, one day you're going to be older. You're going to remember these things. And so um, the older people here, they remember some of their favorite hymns, like the hymns from uh, uh, Mr. Sankey, who was a... Uh, I think his, his picture coming, you know, this he was an evangelist. And uh, he, he drives the truth home when, when he, he was asked, what must I do to be saved? And he said, if you ask what you must do to be saved, here is the answer. As all this, I mean, it's so so small there, but you can see. Nothing, either great or small, nothing sinner. No, Jesus died and did it all along, long ago. When he from his lofty lofty throne stooped to do and died, everything was fully done. Listen to his cry. It is finished. Yes, indeed, it is finished. Every jot sinner this is all you need. Tell me, is not till Jesus walk, you cling by a simple faith. Doing doing is a deadly thing. Doing ends in death. Cast your deadly doing down, down at the feet of Jesus. Stand in Him, in Him alone, gloriously complete. In other words, Nothing in your hand you can bring to any salvation. Only go to Jesus just as you are. In other words, you can admit by saying, as a sinner, whether I see myself as a terrible sinner or as a nice sinner, I can do one thing, I cannot do one thing to merit the divine favor. Even my prayers, my tears, my charity, my religiousness all count for nothing so far as earning salvation is concerned. I am lost. I need a savior. I am sick. I need a physician or a doctor. I am bankrupt. I need a redeemer. I am dead and need him Who is the resurrection and the life? All I need, I find it in Christ, for whom I count all else but rubbish. When I am saved, then I am expected not by my strength, but by the power that God gives in me to produce the fruit of salvation, the good works that God has already prepared. Let me come very soon to the end. What Paul here is saying, as you look at yourself as a nice sinner, I just want you to have faith in Jesus. But what is complicated, in the whole of the passage we read, the word faith is not found. That's interesting. But what is at the center there, what, what is calling people, is this word which is coming on the screen. Is, uh, it is calling everyone for repentance. Because both faith and repentance goes hand in hand. You cannot have faith without repentance. And repentance also is a part of having faith. But what Paul is saying, this you turn, you are heading from that direction. This is a big word, and I don't want to go into more detail because of the time. But let me ask this myself a question I was asking. Repentance. But this should be preached perhaps to those who have never come to faith yet. Why, Paul, you are talking to Christians, and you are telling them to repent. What is going on here? And I think the reason is that repentance is the lifelong process of the restoration of sinners so that uh, it is inescapable, ongoing, and permanent necessity. And this takes me to uh, 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 Luther. When our Lord, this is the first thesis, by the way, he knelt to try to bring um, people to talk about Christianity. When our Lord and Master Jesus said repent, he meant the entire life of believers should be one of repentance. 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 Friends, we, I need to repent. You need to repent. It's not for the people out there. Because many a time, we are just like prodigal sons and daughters. At one moment, our desire has been, as we see on the screen, the prodigal son saying, give me, give me. Father, give me my share. And I take that. But after realizing where he has gone, things have become wrong. His plea, is no longer Give me, but his plea is becoming, make me. And I want us to go from here to say, Lord, you have given me so much and I've wasted some of these. Now would you make me? And this is where Paul is saying, look at that verse four. And I want you to go home and really, really think of this verse 4. And he says there, don't you know that God's kindness, which is shown by his riches of goodness, as we sang, goodness of God, keep chasing after me, richness of God that is found not only in his goodness but also in his forbearance but also in his long suffering. In other words the goodness someone was put in a ventilator that is back in Congo where you have to pay this. Well, Even here they tell me in Scotland we pay for the NHS but I don't believe that. You need to live in a place where you need to pay for this. And so this guy, they put him in a fine letter so that he can get a, a gasp of breath. And then the, the, he asked how much is going to cost? And they gave him the bill. And he started crying, crying, crying. And he said, but you've been okay. He said, no, I'm not crying because I'm going to be okay. I am just crying because uh, I now realize uh, how I have taken the breath of life God gives me in vain each day. Do you see the goodness of God that you breathe in, you breathe out? It's the goodness of God there. Do you know the forbearance that he still bless you despite of your ungodliness and gratitude, and ungratefulness, and he keep doing the sins, and he keep blessing. I will not sing, friends, that he delay his uh, judgment, and for long, and Paul say, all that kindness in order to lead us to repentance, to say, Lord, I am a terrible sinner, I am a nice sinner. I need you. Because my sin are just bad in your eyes. And I don't deserve this. Let me conclude by saying it is the kindness of God, not the fear of being judged, first of all, but the kindness of God that should have the power in our lives to drive us to say, oh, let me submit it to you. Can you name some of the goodness of God in your life? Why have you come to study? I know what it is to have, maybe you don't see the privilege you have You got scholarship, you got this, you got the free bus pass by Scottish government, you just go at the bus. Thank God. Thank God. Goodness me, I had to walk miles to go to school. And my father could not afford to pay all of us. First of all, thankfully I am the first born of the family, had the privilege to be sent to school. The rest, no education. The goodness of God, my friends. You're going to take tonight, this afternoon, a free meal? People who have cooked and had the thought to go to supermarket, clutching their head, would they like my food or not? Would you take that for granted? Am I standing here, Where am I? Those who were born before me or even the same day with me or even after me, many have died. Why am I standing here? Do I deserve to be here? Oh, may the Lord help us. Now let me close by saying we need all our lives to be aware of our sinfulness so that we may appreciate the grace of God that is available through Jesus Christ. And once we embrace Jesus Christ, we can stand and say not anything not my but only Christ in me that's why Paul at the almost towards the end of his life had to say this is a saying that is trustworthy Christ came to the world to save sinners of whom I am the worst. He did not say I was. I am the worst. Even in those moments towards the end of his life, he's still conscious of his sinfulness and saying, oh, the grace of God that has come to me. And will not take that grace in vain. May the Lord help us to look at ourselves and say, if I'm not a terrible sinner, I am a sinner. But I am a sinner. And I need Jesus. I need His grace. I need His blood shed on the cross. I need His forgiveness. Oh, what a wonderful Savior, that when he forgives, he remembers no more. And we can stand faultless before the throne of God. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Would you bring me at your feet and again claim the righteousness that is found only in Jesus? Would you bring my brother and my sister here to that place of realizing all your kindness? So that uh, we may be drawn to that place to say, We submit it to you. Would you have your ways in us? Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, King Jesus, that no matter how horrible and dark our sin may be, you give us the forgiveness, the restoration. And the hope that we find when we confess. What is it that sin perhaps uh, I don't want to confess? What is that sin perhaps we as a church don't want to confess? What is that sin that you are pointing to us, oh Lord? Do not let us go on and on until we have sought out the matter with you. We thank you that you love us. And that's why you're bringing this truth home. To you we give the glory. We give the honor. Amen.